This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Diane Berry, who is the Chief Data and Analytics Officer for Phoenix Group. So, Diane, thank you very much for joining us. No, and thank you for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be part of the podcast, and I've been a big fan of yes. the series, so great thank to you. be here. No, well, uh, yeah, it's always good to have uh, have our listeners on as uh, as guests. So where we always start, Diane, is by asking uh, our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction, I guess, into their background and journey to date up until this point in time, uh, if you would. Yes, certainly. So I've always, my career has always been in the technology space. Um, like a lot of people, I started off in software engineering many moons ago. Um, and I realized this is going to date me, but I was developing client server applications in 4GL languages. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and then back in the early 2000s, I decided to do a bit of a pivot and go back to university to do further studies and actually ended up working for a university. This is UCL in London, where I completed a PhD in epidemiology and statistics and data science as well, which was pretty exciting. At that time, the whole genome had just been decoded. So there was this explosion of data that was going around and trying to understand what that meant for people's health outcomes. Predominantly, we were working on health outcomes. Um, so there was a vastness of longitudinal data out there as well. So that was a really exciting time. We got a number of really high impact research articles out there at then too. Nevertheless, industry called, and more recently, just prior to joining Phoenix, I headed up the Advanced Analytics Group in Bain and Company for the UK as well. And there I had a multidisciplinary team before joining Phoenix. Nice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those that have had a, whilst in technology, a bit of a squiggly career path. <laughs> too. 
I'm just I'm just looking at your LinkedIn profile now, and there's some some impressive names on this CV. So you've got EDF, uh, JP Morgan Chase, HSBC, obviously UCL, Bupa, Bain and Company, and now Phoenix Group. So let, tell us a little bit more about Phoenix Group. Yes, so Phoenix Group, for those of you that may not have heard of it, the main brand, effectively, we've got three main divisions, three main brands that we operate under. The main brand that most people will have heard of is Standard Life. A lot of people out there will have their um, pictures with us. So Phoenix Group um, is basically the UK's long, uh, largest long-term savings and pension company. Um, we have around 10 million customers and around 260 billion of assets under management as well. Uh, we operate in terms of the three main brands that so we have what we refer to our heritage brands, so that being Phoenix Heritage and then the Reassure, but then equally we have what we refer to our open brand being Standard Life. And I hopefully a lot of people have seen a great deal of advertisement that we've done out there as well. So we've got a very ambitious strategy around how we plan to grow our business. So it's broken down into three main components, the organic growth. So that's really working closely and meeting our customers' needs around saving for retirement um, and going into retirement and then the secure income once in retirement. Then it's also about managing effectively and efficiently our enforced business as well. And then the third part of our strategy is around M&A acquisition and growth as well, and we're, which we have successfully been able to do fairly recently and have an ongoing um, activity on that front too. So it's a very exciting, ambitious company, which I loved having come from consultancy into this space. It meant there was a lot going on. Um, people are not being complacent by any stretch of imagination. Yeah, absolutely. No, in- interesting and, and exciting time. So you joined Phoenix just over two years ago, right? Um, probably just as we were coming out of lockdown i think it was april 21 that was about still in lockdown yeah, yeah when, still they, when, in. They, when they decided yeah. they were going to let us let us back out to play which is interesting but i guess what was the what was the reason that the business decided to bring you on you know what, what was the purpose of you being there what's the what's the end game in terms of what they want you to achieve right so yeah it's a really interesting time the boom phoenix group um, had brought on board a new group CEO, Andy Briggs, a couple of years prior to my starting and then our open uh, ex-co, Andy Curran, and they identified because they've got such an ambitious agenda and strategy around this growth in terms of being able to really deliver solutions and provide solutions for our customers that they had acquired back Standard Life from Aberdeen um, and so then they realised they needed to think more clearly, have more direct ownership and management and data strategy and data, customer data predominantly at that point in time. The role that I was brought on board for was chief data scientist. Um, that said, I think I came in and quickly realised it was not just about data science, it was actually more broad than that, albeit predominantly in the customer domain. Um, and so thinking around what is our data strategy, how are we going to meet our business objectives in terms of where we want to get to with our customers and delivering solutions that have high impact and value to our stakeholders. And I say stakeholders in the broader sense as well. Um, For me, what drew me away from consultancy, and as you pointed out, Kyle, I've got (laughs) 
<laughs> quite um, an interesting career so far. I think it was just that classic tension that you get to with consultancy where you feel like you start, you work with organisations, you get started, you do a lot of great work, but there is something about, you know, actually putting your feet under the table, as it were. Um, so for me, that was the thing. It was like, I'm keen to stay here. I'm keen to be part of this for a good period of time so I can really sink my teeth into it and get the pleasure of doing that as well. So, um, yeah, that's where I was. Nice. I mean, they, obviously, the, the consulting world does a lot of a lot of good for businesses in terms of, you know, especially at that kind of strategic end of allowing them to understand, you know, what capabilities they're going to need and what how, how they tie all that together. But obviously it is, a, I guess, a common um, frustration of many people like yourself, Diane, that, you know, probably miss the actual feet on the ground execution and seeing that through, right? Um, yeah. Which I guess ties, ties very nicely into today's, topic obviously when we first spoke we started speaking about what types of topics and and i guess you know you landing in an organization that has uh such aspirations complexity with three different brands and mergers and acquisitions but you know knowing that they want to put data somewhere in the mix of being able to help deliver those solutions obviously then made it feel like a pretty natural conversation to have about how you're going through that journey of you know not just defining the strategy but the plans to to execute um So the starting point for me with this then is obviously if if you go to practically any person in data analytics, they'll all tell you that, you know, start with the business goals, start with the business objectives, whatever the challenges are, whatever the opportunities are, and work backwards from that point in time to shape your strategy. Um, Yet that for some reason very rarely happens that way in most organizations. So why, why do you think that is? Um, I think it's, I mean, I know there's been a lot of research and articles on this, is that it's the tying in and making it tangible to the business as well to show that you are demonstrating interim value while you get to that strategic state as well. And with technology, and this is so true with data, there's an ever-shifting field of expectations that are out there as well. I mean, we only need to think of, um, you know, all the conversations that have happened with generative AI and how that's really capturing people's imaginations as well for good and, you know, for less good purposes as well. So I think that that for me can be part of the challenge of it. And actually to get something really at scale, you do actually need to have a multi-year strategy so it's not just about bringing in a couple of tools, for example. And I mean, this is where I suppose the fact that I have worked in technology and I've developed solutions that you then throw out to the business and maybe they take it on board, maybe they don't. You know, there's actually to get that stickability to develop that data culture actually takes a lot more effort. But I think developing a very strong relationship with your key stakeholders, with your business leaders, around really understanding what their problems are and demonstrating that you're working hard and your team's working hard to really help solve those problems and to remind people of some of the work that your team is doing on the ground is absolutely critical as well because sometimes it's that the business leaders that are, you know, because they operate way up, right, don't necessarily see the material difference of those people on the ground like 
you know, the data scientists, or the BI analysts, or the data engineers, etc. So there is also that education piece as well. You, you know, in the role that I now occupy as a CDAO, I am very much there as an ambassador for my team. But equally, I am facing in and being very close with those business leaders that are trying to solve problems and build the end state. So we are able to meet our uh, ambition as well. So yeah. it's a bit of both. You can't do it without a team, though. You fundamentally need to have a good team around you. Yeah, that, that is critical. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Makes makes perfect sense. So I guess um, obviously the, the whole putting together of the, the data strategy then, mm-hmm. I guess, we we kind of talk about this very flippantly as if it's easy and you know we, we know that it's it's not putting it putting together you know even just designing a comprehensive data strategy uh, can be difficult the execution even more so right but where, where do you i guess where's the starting point how do you know where to start like what the focus should be just kind of t- take us back to that point in time when you were going through that if you would yeah so for me i think it was looking across the business to see how the business really operated i mean there is a classic people process and tools when you come to a strategy so it's like what immediate problems do you have to date and so it's about sort of and it depends on how much work you need to do to validate the problem statement to understand what it is that you need to get to 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 the next point so it is your classic what are your immediate problems what's going to be your quick win what's going to be your longer term win that is going to take a longer delivery execution cycle to get to and that might be in terms of building out your technology to really enable data as well because obviously you know to start developing out a cloud data solution is not an overnight process depending on the maturity of your organization. So for me, it's about thinking through that the people are the e- relatively easy, but also the, the most challenging part, to be honest. Yeah. But you can do a lot with people very quickly, very much in the first instance as well, to talk about those people at the business leadership front, and then also those people actually on the ground living and breathing it. So you need to straddle all across, I think, both worlds to understand what's going on develop out that people aspect there too. So that that's critical. And then the processes around, a lot of it is around what's my front door process? How do I attract people to come use my team function as well? How do I identify what it is that they're trying to solve for today? What's their sticking points as well? So that gives you some of that bottom level challenges that you have in terms of what you're then trying to enable and then what needs to be fed up as well. Um, And then the technology tools aspect, a lot of where organisations come unstuck is that they might have small, small scaled solutions in place. You know, most people can spin up a POC fairly quickly, for example, but to actually build that at scale and have that deliver might be a longer term transformation as well. So that's where you need to find a path to be able to do things that demonstrate value, that you still have that in place and to be able to deliver it out from there. I think what you're then trying to sell for it, and part of it, I think the challenge is with the data strategy is that the the function within itself may not be a profit and loss center, right? It's often there as an enabler as well. So that can become a big challenge when you're trying to 
<laughs> prove the value of the organization because from the business perspective, it might just look like spend investment, but it is really making that case around we're here to enable. So being able to tie what you're doing within your strategy to key um, projects that are either doing business growth projects and for us, because we're a financial services, there's also regulatory programs. So if you can tie in your strategy and say, actually, this is some of the problems we're going to solve for when it comes to meeting those regulatory demands, but also how it will help you solve for these problems, that, well, these opportunities, I should say problems, opportunities that we're trying to meet in terms of our business growth. This is how this component will really help you get there and accelerate that as well. So it's it's about doing that. So actually tying it into key projects or programs that are actually out there in the live as well to say this is what we can do too. So I think that for me is then critical. And then the the value would be well rather than everyone one of these individual components having to develop their own data strategy, let me come in and do that more generally. And then you'll get the efficiencies from the fact that not everyone will need to reinvent the wheel, will have a really solid enabling foundation and function as well that we can evolve from. So that's how certainly I've tackled it because um, like a lot of data and analytics functions, we don't have a profit centre per se associated with us. Mm -hmm. So it is about highlighting that enabling function too. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. So I, I guess what, what I see a lot of, and, you know, had people on this podcast and the events that we host, you know, this gets spoken about quite a lot, but we often talk about the notion of kind of quick wins, right. And kind of proving, proving yeah. value quickly so that that helps you to demonstrate buy-in and kind of keep the business on that journey. But, you know, I think uh, often a lot of, a lot of businesses or a lot of data leaders, you know, they're, they they sometimes focus on one end of the spectrum or the other. So it's either, you know, this is a three to five year strategy and you're not going to see anything until we get there or there's a load of quick wins, but it's not really in line with any strategy, right? How, how do you straddle getting that right? Because I guess ultimately you want to try and do is prove value, but mm. prove value with use cases that are aligned to the ultimate longer term strategy that you're, you know, you, the goals of the business, right? Yeah, so I was very fortunate at Phoenix Group in the fact that when I came on board, I started with a relatively small team of BI analysts, um, business intelligence analysts, essentially, um, that were working quite embedded within the customer function, our open customer function. So I brought together some other analytics functions. But because of the type of the work that they did, I was able to show straight away, actually, if you bring this function these group of people together, albeit across various different entities, already you're getting an elevation and thinking around how we go about tackling the everyday problems as well. And some of these problems that we're trying to tackle in our different entities, essentially, but doing it in a more group-wide perspective as well. So for me, that helped a lot with that quick win aspect of it. Um, to just be able to bring those people together to do, you know, various different informal training sessions, lunch and learn sessions, et cetera, as well, to, to have that. So there's that internal team efficiency because if nothing else, you can always be smarter about how you organise your team to be able to help accelerate those quick wins as well. Yeah. I think... You know, obviously, yeah, there's been so many data warehousing initiatives, um, and I'm thinking more like 
you know, 10 odd years ago where there would be like, we're building this data warehouse over here, come back, come back in several years' time. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think it's fair to say that ends up being quite waterfall, right? And so then that has all the challenges with the waterfall approach is the fact that nobody actually sees that, sees that right at the end, but fundamentally your business is evolving over that course of time. So this is where I think having your team closely aligned with the business so you have an ongoing feel for what the challenges are, are that they're trying to meet and solve for really helps say to people, even if it's taking a bit longer to execute, that I mean, inevitably, it always takes a little bit longer than perhaps you'd like, especially if you're spinning out something really new and innovative for the organisation that, look, I understand it, this is where we are, you're very much part of my broader strategy, and hooking in all those dependencies as well. So recognising where you are on the journey, but at the same time still delivering those as-is use cases, but building out efficiency, insight, and then when you're able to actually start pulling it out into the broader strategy, pushing that through as well. So, mm, yeah, yeah, it's I think, yeah. I think there's things that people can do in terms of bringing in new capabilities. So, for example, data scientists. I think we've seen organisations, we've all seen different organisations bring in a bunch of data scientists and then sort of scratch their head around how I use them. I think there is generally value in having data scientists, having that capability, but you've got to find the right people to lead those. Um, that type of team as well. Find people that do have that mentality of accepting that it might be a startup environment in the first instance, a startup within an incumbent as such. So being really keen to sell the opportunities, et cetera, and take that on board as well. I realise other companies have taken different approaches with having something, an innovation outside. Yep. For me, I think that can end up being, that can be a lot of fun, but it's a bit like that data warehouse situation, unless you're able to actually bring it in for scale. That tends to be where it falls short. Yeah, I guess we often, you know, talk about as you mentioned there, you know, getting your team close to the business. And again, right. people kind of talk about that uh, quite, quite often, but but quite flippantly. Like, how do you ensure that your teams are, you know, remaining close to the business? What does that actually mean in in I guess in reality? Yeah. So how that actually means in reality. So again, I was fortunate with the fact that the team that I did take over had very strong relationships with people across the business and with actively. So I give people the autonomy to actually develop those relationships. Fundamentally, that is critical. People have got to, of all levels, have got to have strong relationships with people of the business. Obviously, from a team perspective, you're trying to understand your resourcing and demand, that front door aspect of it. But I don't think it should be a situation where if someone comes to someone, albeit on informal aspects, says, hey, I've got this idea, do you want to work with me? It shouldn't be just a matter that that then gets deferred to, you know, someone higher up the food chain, essentially. That relationship should be across the team as well. And that's very true in the fact that I've got different members of my team that understand different parts of the business exceptionally well they've been with the business for quite some time as well because they brought teams together so I fundamentally believe around giving people the autonomy 
to be able to continue and develop those relationships. But then internally, this is where I think you need to have that efficiency to try and show that you're evolving your thinking, you're evolving your strategy in terms of the tools, texts and process, etc., in terms of what's out there as well. So mm-hmm. you do you need to find the right mix of people within your team that want to have that, you know, core business understanding, give them the autonomy to be able to do so as well. Yeah. Um, and that is something we, we run a monthly survey uh, within Phoenix, which is great because then we get to see what people's this is an employee survey, which is wonderful, the fact that we do take the time to do this. And autonomy is something that we 100% spike on as a team. We've also got a very good internal score as well. But, um, yeah, autonomy, I think, is absolutely critical for establishing those relationships within, with people within the business too. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that the industry more generally has, has come a very long way in understanding the importance of having more well-rounded teams. You know, even yeah. five years ago, everyone was very technical and people were hired on that basis and i think now there's more of an appreciation that um you know more diverse diversity of thought well balanced well-rounded teams that have different types of people with different skills in them can can add a a lot of value and you know i think uh you know relationship building is probably one of the most underestimated kind of characteristics and uh, attributes that um, you know, we don't speak enough about because ultimately yeah. it's just a massive people game, this, right? You know, so... Um... Yeah, and it can't just be resting on the shoulders of a CDAO, right? I mean, that, to be honest, is the wrong place for the team. I mean, yes, I should be acting as an ambassador. I should be understanding what we need to get to from a data strategy perspective and the vision perspective. But equally, I need my team to have that those strong relationships with people in the business as well. So they live and breathe the, the issues, the challenges, how the opportunities in terms of the work going yeah. out there. And acknowledging people in the business who, have, who are bringing the team part of their teams as well. I think digital ways or agile ways of working help a lot as well because of that mindset around we need a multidisciplinary team I think is it's something that I'm a big believer on, just even having that concept of multidisciplinary teams. So it's not just about the people that are developing their strategies, but how do I go about executing, um, you know, uh, an opportunity to engage customers more, for example. So having those data analysts, those user testers, et cetera, and so forth. So that's, I think, quite critical. So, again, um, recognising those opportunities that are out there in the business, really encouraging your team, validating the work they're doing, validating the people that are taking your team close to you as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all that positive reinforcement, <laughs> mm-hmm. but as um is, is key. Yeah. To that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I would say with people as well is that I mean, often when organisations think about building out their teams and you think of your pyramid around what you want in the team, it's thinking around the diversity of talent that you bring in. I think you touched on that a little bit there, Carl, is because I brought over various different analytical teams, so different people like me within that space had different career pathways. But one thing that I've been really, that the whole team is really delighted with, we recently uh, went out to market to look for more people to join our team at more at the entry level, essentially. But we made a point with our job advertisements to say that we want 
obviously we want people who are at the early stages, but we also want people that are career changers as well. And so that for me has been delight, just surprise and delight about some of the talent we've been able to attract on that front as well. So it's not just people that are coming out straight out of the university. Yes, we've got that, and I'm delighted with those people as well, but equally it's people that have had squiggly careers too. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, that, that's that's really good to hear. Um, back to the kind of execution of a strategy then and the quick wins thing that we were talking about versus the long-term play. Yep. What you were starting to touch upon before was basically this, you know, top top down from board level and, and bottom up um, approach and how you address, you know, adding value to those groups of people. Now it's, you know, possibly fair to say that, you know, at the at the board level, you know, mm-hmm. that is more of a longer term play, but just because of where they, you know, how they operate and they look at numbers yeah. and PLs and metrics and all of that type of stuff. Whereas, you know, users within the business, you can help pretty quickly by making them more efficient or better at their job, right? But I guess getting the balance right between the two. I know, I know you're quite big on communication. Um, is there a strategy around that? Because I guess my, my train of thought here is that often completely understand why at board level some of the work that data teams do isn't that visible but i think um you know i get a bit of flack for saying this but data people more generally speaking they're not very good at marketing themselves right and um i think that's there's a big play there if i think about some of the really successful you know people that we've had on the podcast that have had you know really huge successes they they've often brought it back to having kind of some kind of communication strategy or method of communicating all of the great work that they do with the business more holistically yeah. um, how important has that been for you at phoenix I think it's been hugely important. I think it's something that I've got to still work on if I'm entirely mm-hmm. honest Kyle it's not something um so I've been very fortunate in the fact that I've been invited each year to go and present at our Exco as well, um, which obviously I've looked at too. So I've done that very much at the high level perspective in terms of that. And then I've got um, I've been very fortunate in the fact that I've I've got you know key stakeholders that are willing to engage with me and hear out what I what we're doing within the data strategy. So those are more the one-to-ones, taking opportunities on different forums as well. Um, I think where I probably need to do a bit better is in that middle ground. Like I said, we run lunch and learn sessions. We've got people in the teams that have got very strong relationships with other parts of the business as well. But I think I do recognise that I need to flesh that out more, dare I say, in terms of that broader strategy. using internet sites, et cetera. Uh, also thinking around what it does in terms of your objectives and key results. And I think trying to keep yourself honest in terms of where you measure yourself in those key results. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I think, yeah, I do tend to have be, whilst I've got a very collaborative collegiate style, I probably need to do, I recognise that I still need more work to do in terms of really developing this out. Um, further as well but yeah I, I do appreciate <laughs> it, it's not necessarily an intuitive skill for certain parts of my team as well some part, members of my team do better at it than other parts yeah it's probably yeah. something that I've still is a bit of a work in progress for me <laughs> no well look I, I really appreciate the uh the honesty but I think the important thing right is evidently you've got the ear of 
the board and the exco mm. right which um you know whilst obviously the middle part of the business is usually important because they're the one using it i guess you know more probably more frequently but um the people that make the decisions are interested right which is uh is half the battle which brings me very nicely onto the concept of of buying right again another topic that we speak about fairly flippantly you know it's an integral part of the journey but trying to get to the nuts and bolts of what what does buying actually mean how what you know what constitutes buying how do you get to the point of knowing that you've got buying have you got any kind of suggestions on that well investment like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like the, the business willing to put money against it is pretty is a pretty evidential <laughs> from the main part so the, i mean that i think is will be the um yeah, I think that's a clear sign that you've got buy-in as the investment to it. And look, I'm only two years into into Phoenix as well, and certainly um, very optimistic that we'll be able to get that ongoing investment. But we won't be able to do that unless we are actually delivering results, and those results are evidential to the business. So I think for me, that is the key part. And making whatever you're doing, especially if, part of your debt, like where we are in terms of our broader tools and technology, that is multi-year, but, you know, showing that quite clearly how that is enabling other parts of the business or, you know, other business objectives to be able to actually deliver as well whilst there is still still a lot going on is quite key. So actually showing the usefulness of what it is that you're trying to put in place is quite critical too. So then that sort of you know, becomes this self-evidential cycle as well. But yeah, I would say a key component is getting investment if you're able to get investment. Um, and maybe it's not that you're going to get all the investment that you want up front. So it's about taking more investment you have got, making the best use of it, and then building it out from there as well. So, and it, I mean, look, I wasn't handed by any stretch of imagination a blank envelope, no way. So and I'm still I'm still not, but <laughs> no, it's the, um, and I neither should I be. To be clear, that would be not the right thing to do for much for where I am as an individual. I really want to be part of solving, enabling. I really believe in that enabling aspect around data and analytics. Well, um, but yeah, if 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 you yeah if you're getting investment, if you, even if you've got some investment, that that's a bit of a vote of confidence making the best use of it, going out. As I mean, like I said, I came in to do this as multi-year. So, you know, recognising that it is a bit of a long-term there. Yeah. So. Yeah. How, how do you, I guess, in terms of ensuring that you're executing on the strategy that you've got in place, kind of, mm. is there any any metrics or mechanisms by which you measure you know that that's happening in terms of you're on the right path to success so um where we are in terms of the early stages is the fact that what we're doing is of use to the core projects right now because we're still in that build stage as such so the key metrics obviously have yet to go live as such i mean even thinking around how you're going to measure yourself is quite critical as well, so that for me is a key component of how how you're going to measure your success, your maturity over time, as well. So thinking through those various different services, or your aspirations, or your value propositions, or however you like to slice and dice, 
your strategy. So if these are your value propositions and you're going to evolve them over time, what are those key metrics against them as well? So how does that go out there? Um, yeah, just, and and there's not the mo- the perfect one to be able to do. So I think it's very specific to the organisation that you're in at the time around what are those components. And then not all of that is necessarily fully within your control, but making sure that you can really evidence and push and get people motivated towards helping you deliver those key metrics that are, that are going to really enable so much more from that and recognising that it is actually a board team effort, so not perhaps not just your team as well. But I think thinking quite thoughtfully around what are those metrics, what are your value propositions, how are you building out against those over time? Yeah. And then that should really start to come to life. It's, it's interesting that because I think um, – I think that's possibly part of the, you know, the initial strategy design that many people miss. Like they know, they know what the strategy is. They know what the end goal is. Right. And their measure of success is getting there. Right. Which makes it really difficult to communicate the value that you're adding. If you've not kind of got a mechanism in place to say, well, you know, within six months, hopefully we are at X point of that journey and if we are then that means that we're on track if we're ahead of that great if we're behind that well there might be work to do right it's it's interesting and and like any metric it will evolve over time as well Mm -hmm. you refine your metrics but i think the thing is you are trying to show that evolution right to show what's working what what is really evidencing what you're doing um you know especially with ai it's quite challenging to demonstrate that because you know, as a data function, as a group data office, it's not fully within our control to contact customers to get them to consolidate pensions with us, for example, or to put in larger, you know, to put in tax contributions at the end of the year if they're able to, for example. That is, again, part of that multidisciplinary aspect of it. So there's multiple ways that you can really evidence the value that you're actually adding to the business and the interim as you're building out across the longer term too. So thinking through that mm. too, I think, yeah, I don't think any way that we try and measure what worked 100 years ago in terms of being able to measure the success of a business has really evolved over time. I mean, obviously, profitability is a key component of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you should never lose sight of that aspect of it. But yeah. if you're doing your strategy right, there should be a core, even if it, you are an enabling function, there should be a core efficiency aspect to it and then ability to innovate over it as well from where we are today. Yeah, 100%. You talked earlier about scalability, and I think this is something that the data industry in general has probably learned the hard way, right, in terms of trying to, you know, provide those quick wins spinning things up in single use cases and then realizing, oh, we're going to have to unpick a lot of work here to make this scalable, which obviously yeah. talking about a three to five year transformational strategy, scalability is hugely important. So just talk us through kind of some of the thought processes that you had in terms of ensuring that that scalability piece fit into the strategy, you know, uh, short and long term. Yeah. So the, so for me, the scalability, especially where we are as an organisation and you know, where we are as an industry, 
I realized that we actually needed to really uplift our technology and our data and AI and data science technology for us to really truly get that scalability. So there's always going to be a trade-off around there is going to have to be, you know, dare I say, some interim solutions, tactical solutions, if we do want to put models into the production environments and then obviously the latency that they, that then might, might cause it. That, for me, is just a trade-off that you need to make on it. I think we're, I think from a leader perspective, it's around how much focus do you put into that interim, albeit slightly painful approach to put that there versus the longer term. And I would say you should never lose sight on the longer term because it is the longer term that is really going to give you that full scale. There's only so much, like if you've only got, um, hugely exaggerating but if you're talking to the same five people you know really what you want them to invest you want one person to work on the as is but four people to work on the longer term right you'll figure out the split if you see what i mean is very specific to the organization you're at but i think yeah don't lose sight of that yeah yeah that, that that's how i think about it makes sense um last thing then so if there are people out there now, other data leaders listening to this, which we know there, there, there are many of them, um, and they're thinking about, okay, I'm landing in an organization, I'm you know, a bit responsible for developing the strategy and ultimately executing that strategy over the next few years. Yeah. What are the kind of, um, you know, the, the likely traps that you would highlight to potentially watch out for as they, you know, embark yeah. upon that journey? Yes. Uh, so I think there's a couple of likely traps um, depending on the type of organisation. And so there's there's always the culture tra- trap, right? There's actually, you know, is your organisation actually ready for it? I mean, how much are they ready for it? Do you need to do a bit more groundwork before they become ready for it? Do they really understand it, et cetera, and so forth? So there's all that sort of aspect of it. Um that's always a key trap. I think the other key trap is um, from a technology perspective is around, uh, you know, where, where how mature is your organisation in terms of some of the technology capabilities that you need to have in place there to actually scale out AI as well because it could be that from a technology and cloud perspective because let's be clear, I think a lot of the AI capabilities nowadays mean that you've got to have a really strong cloud strategy. You might be working very much in tandem as well, so that can be quite a key trap too. It's not necessarily true for some organisations. I know that retail has really been doing a great job in terms of leading that charge. Uh, so that, that for me can be a key trap. I think finding talents, the right talents, like we discussed, can be a trap. You know, being a bit too inward looking, I don't think any analytics function or data and analytics function should be inward looking. Yes, you've got to have people who are the thinkers, but then you've also got to have the people that are the doers or the collaborators as well. So really thinking about who are those people in your team that are attracting, who's your who's your storefront, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um to, to bring people in on the ground as well, because you as an individual might do, be doing a wonderful job saying to your peers and above, come, 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 we've got all these great use cases and opportunities that we could work on. But then when they actually work with people on the ground, they're not getting that same enthusiasm or service as well. So you absolutely need to have 
a really solid storefront there too um, as well. So I think that's quite a key trap. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I think there's so many pitfalls in this space, but it's also what makes it super exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, absolutely. Um, I know. I know. I promised that 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 was the last question, but you just sort of said something there that I want to pick up on. Um, you talked about the culture being the big trap, and obviously, you know, we debate this topic over and over again. What, in your opinion, is the relationship, or not as the case may be, between buying and and culture? Because obviously, we see it quite often where there's, you know. Um, board exco's that they're yeah. buying right they want to invest in this stuff but yeah. the culture of the organization makes the whole adoption piece quite difficult and then they are often at odds with each other what was that you know what did that look like for you and, and did you have to combat that um uh, you know i think cultures culture is something that really needs to be nurtured regardless of what type of culture it is it's not something that you can certainly just take for granted I, I think because we've had this very core, strong ambition around our organic growth and engaging with customers, so I think from there it's very, I've been quite fortunate in the fact that that culture is that to a degree, I think the biggest challenge we have as an organisation is that we're so ambitious, it's about giving time for it to be developed and nurtured, etc. Um, so that, that for me has been less of a problem. Um, you know, financial services, especially in the industry that I am in with um, long-term savings and pensions, is you can't but walk down the corridor for meeting an actuary or an old actuary. <laughs> These people are very, very financially literate, right? They've had to go through quite a training process as well. I think the biggest challenge can be in any type of organisation like that is sort of saying, you know, there's more the way you have been doing it I get it, you like it, but it's not scalable, perhaps. So actually, we need to think about how you can build out those efficiencies and scale it. Um, I've been very fortunate with the teams that I have brought together. There's been some wonderful ways of working and really bringing that to life and actually demonstrating the value of it. So really having an efficient and agile data ops process, it, you know, can be tremendously valuable in terms of having that mindset. But that, that in itself, can take quite some time to nurture and finding the right people who get it and actually live and breathe it on the ground and put that in place for their teams too. This yeah. can't be just assumed because you mentioned the word either. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like absolutely. agile, dare I say it. And I think that's <laughs> uh, agile's like one of these, I think is almost becoming one of these really misused terminologies out there as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah absolutely well diane look uh thank you so much for giving up your time uh to come on the show today it's been a uh, an insightful conversation and um yeah look forward to seeing how the rest of your journey unfolds yeah thank you yeah no this has been a fun way to spend a friday afternoon so thank you <laughs> that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics until then Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.